0: Just as a matter of review, what I'd like to do is take a second and um, just uh, go back and kind of lay out what's been going on in Hebrews. The writer, you know, we're in chapter seven, verses. We're finishing up twenty through twenty-eight today. And remember, the book of Hebrews—the whole theme is Christ is supreme to everything. He's supreme to, and and, and this is speaking to a group of. Uh, people who their desire is to have a relationship with God. Not everybody desired that. There were pagan nations. So he's writing to people that supposedly want a relationship with God. I don't believe any of you would be here today if you didn't want a relationship with God. I mean, who's going to get up at 6.30 to some listen to some guy talk from the Bible unless you want a relationship? Yeah, 5 o'clock for some of you. But who's going to get up unless you want a relationship with God? And so he's telling them in chapter 1, listen, Jesus is superior to everything. There's nothing else like Him. He is the exact imprint of God. In chapter 2, he said He's greater than the angels. And angels had all, always been a part of the Jewish people's life. That's how God transmitted messages to them. That's how He gave them the law. That's how He told about the things that were important. Whenever an angel popped on the scene, it was a big deal. And He's saying Jesus is greater than angels. Chapter 3, is greater than Moses. Whoa, wait a minute. He's greater than Moses? The lawgiver? Moses was kind of everything to them. In chapter 4, He said He's greater than Joshua. And in chapter 4, he uses the term, he's our great high priest. And Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Judah, and that posed a problem for them. I mean, he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. That, tro- that posed a problem for them. Because a priest had to be from the tribe of Levi according to the way God had ordained it. And they go, wait a minute, something's not adding up. So what he does is he goes through, and he's already mentioned Melchizedek twice, and he, he goes through and he explains that there's a different order of priest that supersedes and precedes Aaron. <coughs> or I should say precedes and supersedes Aaron. And it was the Melchizedekian order of priests. Now Melchizedek was only mentioned in four verses in Genesis and then um, once in the wisdom books. And by implication of Messiah... I brought out, he was mentioned also in Zechariah chapter 6. But he wasn't named in Zechariah, but you, you saw from the way we tied it together that Messiah was going to be from that order. And he, Messiah, Melchizedek, and Jesus had a couple of things in common. Or a few things. One of them was they were both, or all three, king-priests. The, the priests weren't king-priests. The priests from Aaron were just priests. But Messiah, the one who was going to restore everything and make everything right, was a king priest. We saw that. We also saw that they were greater than Abraham. All three of them. That was important. Abraham was always seen as the father of the faith. In fact, when Jesus told a story about Lazarus, He didn't go to Moses' bosom. He went to Abraham's bosom. Whenever He was arguing with the Jews, He talked about Abraham. And so he's making the point in this book that Jesus is greater than Abraham, and so was Melchizedek. He says they're king of righteousness by name. That's what Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. He said he's also king of peace, and we talked about that. And then they said they're they're eternal. Melchizedek was not eternal. Um but he was pictured as an eternal person because there was no mention of his birth, no mention of his death. So we're, so the writer just picks up on that and uses that as a picture to these people. But Jesus and Messiah would be maternal, uh, eternal. And last week, we talked about in verses 11 through 19 about the difference between the Aaronic priesthood and that sacrificial system and the Melchizedekian order priesthood with Jesus, or just let's just say Jesus' priesthood as the high priest, and the new covenant. It's a new covenant. The old covenant was not a covenant of works, but it was a covenant of the law and the old priesthood. And so when you hear the term law mentioned in Scriptures, often it's it's referring to the old covenant, but it's not works. And we said last week, was Abraham saved by works? Was David saved by works? They were all saved by grace through faith, right? The the working of this system where they would bring a sacrifice every year to the high priest, that priest would sacrifice was an act of obedience and faith to what God had prescribed. So in the same way that we today are saved by grace through faith, they were also saved by grace through faith. It was just an old covenant that was... I, I don't want to say broken or bad it wasn't bad it was good and we see we're going to see today that he uses a term a better you know this is a better system he was a better priest would you say better if you're talking comparatively about bad no you wouldn't say that would you when you say better it's usually what what's what's how how does it go what's the progression good better best good better best it was a good system Why was it good? Because God ordained it that way. God didn't make a bad system. It was good, but it wasn't better. And you could say for this new covenant, it's better best. Why? Because we saw last week, it gives us 24-7 access to God. They didn't have that. What they did is they had a temporary uh, access to forgiveness. Do we have temporary access to forgiveness or eternal? Ours is eternal because of Jesus, and we saw that last week. And so, and I use this analogy of an of a, a all-access badge. You know, it, it's, you know Brad's, Brad Sykes is on the radio with me. His uh, son-in-law is Devin Dawson, who's a country singer. And he gets, him. you know, Devin opens up for really big names, and so he gets to go to these concerts sometimes, and he gets an all-access pass. Gets that little badge, you probably get something like that at the golf thing at the players. You get that, you can walk anywhere, you get to go right. It doesn't matter if the president of the PGA is right there is used for golf, doesn't matter if the, the celebrity headliner is there for the concert. With that, you can walk right up to them because you got 24 7 all access. Well, the new covenant brings that for us with God. They had never experienced that. Who could go before God in the old covenant? Only the high priest. Do you know how many high priests there were back? If you if you take all the high priests for the tabernacle, the temple period, and and the you know the, the second temple period up to the time the temple was destroyed, do you know how many there were? Do You have any idea? Eighty-three. Somebody did their homework. <laughs> Good. I know. Eighty-three only 83 people in the history of Israel other than special divine appearances to David or to you know, Abraham or Moses, there were other appearances by God where His presence might have been there and some other people, but only 83 people, think about all the thousands of people when they left Egypt, you know how many men there were? 600,000 and their families and only 83 people in that history time period was in the presence of God. But look at us. Heck, we've got more guys than that that swat that are believers and they got 24-7. So we know something they didn't know. It's a better plan. It's a better system that God has set up. And it was always part of the plan. And we saw last week what that new covenant brings to us. It brings what? Eternal forgiveness they didn't have that. They had temporary forgiveness. It brings eternal life. Did they understand eternal life in the Old Covenant? I don't think they did. I don't know how they could. It was a mystery. Now, they had a hope, but there was a whole group of people that led the Sanhedrin, which was their like, spiritual supreme court. They didn't believe in eternal life. So if the leaders don't believe, how are the people going to believe? So, But we understand it. From the time I first heard about Jesus when I was a five-year-old boy that I remember, the first thing I remember is, if I believe in Jesus, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. It's the first thing I remember about God, we understand something they didn't grasp. They didn't get. It also brings a clear <clears throat> conscience. Think about it. Think about the guy who brings the goat in there, or the, or the lamb, by the way, and to get sacrificed. He gives it to the high priest. He goes, they sacrifice it. Then he's on his way home with his wife and they get in a big argument all the way back to Jericho. <laughs> and he says things he shouldn't say. Now, when does he... Really get relief from that sin. It's a year later. He I mean he doesn't run back. The whole system was designed to show a cost for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Now we categorize sin, but it's any sin. It's any disobedience. For some of you, it might mean that God wants you to do something and you're going, I just can't do that. And it's not a big moral issue except that God wants you to do it. That makes it moral. And that's why it's important when we get up in the morning, God, I'm yours today. Show me what to do. You go and you go, okay, David, how are you doing today? I'm terrible. Can we talk? No, man, I got a golf game. I got to get to. I'm supposed to meet this guy. Oops. What are we about? We're supposed to be Christ to the world. We're supposed to have Him in us. See, the whole difference in the old system and the new system is in the old system, they had to go to the tabernacle temple to be with God, and the new System, we're supposed to go be God to the world. See, because we're the temple. The temple's not made with bricks anymore. It's made with human flesh. And we are the temple. We carry the Spirit of God. That's why we get baptized in the Spirit. Not the water baptism, but the Spirit baptism when you become a true all-in believer. And when that happens you start to feel compelled to do things that make no sense. Like leave the FBI and go into ministry. And people are going, you're nuts, man. That's crazy. What are you doing? And the boss is saying, you can have more time off for mission trips. you got a good career going. And I can't. Why? Because I'm compelled to follow God, not man. Because I'm His. He lives in me. And the Spirit, if I'm not doing what He wants, I, I know it. It's not just immoral things like we think of, like murder, drunkenness, addiction. It's being disobedient. But you know what's cool? is It says, and we saw this last week, that we have a clear conscience because of what He did in the New Covenant. That means, Riley, you can blow it with your wife and you can go to work at the Y, and on the way, you can you can confess it to God. Man, I messed up. You may not be able. You may call your wife if you feel led to do that. Maybe she's the kind that wants you to say it in person when you get home. But you can go in there, and you're not dragged down all day by the fact that you're human and flawed because He knows that. That's why He died. It's the whole point. The more we become aware of our need, the more we look to Him, the more He's glorified. By the way, when He died for us, He didn't God give us freedom to do anything we want. What He gave us was a freed will to be obedient to Him. Righteous. Well, here's the thing. In this passage today, He reiterates everything He's been saying about from Psalm 110. Remember that Psalm was the only other place where Melchizedek's name is mentioned other than Hebrews. And He's trying to bring it out again That Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. That is an eternal order. It's a a forever thing. Messiah, back in Psalm 10, it's talking about Messiah, but he's saying Jesus fulfilled that. And so he's bringing out these things about him in in verses 20-28. through Four things that the priesthood of Jesus is permanent, it's perfect, it's pure, and it was always predestined. It was always meant to be the way it was. The the old priesthood was just pointing toward Jesus. It was never meant to last. So he brings that out again kind of as a crescendo, big exclamation point in 2028. But he says some pretty significant things about Jesus, his priesthood compared to the others. So let's read the text and we'll come back and we'll look at these about the priesthood being permanent, perfect, pure, and predestined. Okay. Verse 20 says, And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, talking about Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to Him, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. May God bless his word. As you hear that, what do you hear over and over and over and over in that section? Just that one little section of this. Oath. What? Oath. What? Oath, the oath that well you hear oath, but there's but there's the forever. Forever and ever. I mean, it says, it talks about forever over and over in there. Meaning, it's permanent. There were 83 high priests. Aaron died. And when Aaron died, who replaced him? His son. Why? Because his priesthood ended. And you know what God did with Aaron before he died? He made him take his vestments off in front of everybody to show that his priesthood was over and that his son was taking his place because he was about to die. He told Moses, he's going to die. And so you need to have him do this. Have him get up in front of everybody. It's kind of like a changing of the guard. He's he's handing it over, saying he's not priest anymore. And then he went and died. And so the first thing he brings out in verse 20, he says this oath, and, and to your point, The oath, it was not without an oath. It's kind of a double negative there. And he's making a point. What he's saying is God made Jesus priest by an oath. His oath. If you think back to the Old Testament, He made an oath to who else? Abraham. Abraham? He made an oath to David. Were Abraham and David's oath both associated with Messiah? They were. Abraham's oath was what? Through you, all the families in the world are going to be blessed. <coughs> David's oath was you will always have what? A, a, a son on the throne. The, his son will rule forever. But they both deal with Messiah. And so the oath, he made an oath to Abraham. He made he, How many oaths did he make? He didn't make that many oaths in the Bible. But he did about Melchizedek. And that's what David's bringing out in Psalm 110 about Messiah. And so he's going to that place and he's saying, listen, his priesthood is permanent. Remember in Hebrews 1? It says, Your throne is forever, talking about Jesus. Your years have no end. When Jesus died, he only died physically for a time. And then what? He was resurrected. There are people who say that He was only resurrected spiritually. But when He appeared to Peter, He said, look, and to Thomas, look. Feel this. You want to feel it? Go ahead, put your hand right here. This is, this is a body. He, he, he was resurrected. His body didn't die. Or I mean, His body didn't stay dead because His years had no end. Remember what it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 13? Jesus is the same yesterday. Today and tomorrow. Because God made an oath. And in his oath, he said, you'll live forever. Now, I love what it talks about him being a guarantor here. You know the book, there's a book in the New Testament called Philemon. And you may not be familiar with that. It's just a one chapter book. But it's about this guy named Philemon who had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away. And he happened to run smack dab in the middle of a guy named Paul. And the gospel. And his life changed. And he became useful to Paul as a believer. And what Paul did is he wrote back to Anesimah, I mean I'm sorry, to Philemon, about him. And it's interesting what he said. Because here's what Paul said in Philemon verses 18 and 19. Which is right before Hebrews. Yeah. He says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of what you owe me, but I'll take care of his his bill. And when he says guarantor here about Jesus, Jesus has become our guarantor of our debt. So our sin debt He takes care of. In the same way Paul wrote about Onesimus, he's writing to say He's our guarantor. He takes care of that. Whatever they owe, Father, I'll pay. Even as we still continue to sin, I'm paying that. It's like we're racking up charges and He's still paying it with the Father. That's why it says He's interceding every day for us. And the covenant is maintained. It's not broken because he's up there. And that's why he's in the presence of God, interceding on our behalf. So his priesthood, first of all, is permanent. But it also, he says in verse 23, is perfect. It says down here, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever forever. Verse um, 25, he says, Consequently, so because his priesthood is permanent, he can pay our debt. Who did the priest pay the debt for when they were in office? Themselves and the people. Themselves and the people that lived right then, right? Could Aaron pay our debt? No, Aaron doesn't even know who Riley is. He didn't know he had a fight with his wife this morning or yesterday, or whenever it was. He didn't know that. He didn't know I yelled at my wife last week. He didn't know that. Aaron had no idea. But Jesus did, because He lives forever. Consequently, and this is what He says in verse 25, He says, consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost. It's, it's, it's perfect. Aaron's priesthood was temporary and flawed. There were only 83 priests and they were limited to their time period on earth. And even that, they had to go in and offer sacrifices for themselves because they were flawed. Did Jesus ever have to offer a sacrifice for Himself? No. Jesus took care of it Perfect. perfectly. It and, and, and you get a great picture of salvation in verse 25. It says, because He was permanent, it says first, He is able. Now listen, the old priests were willing, but they just weren't able to take care of everybody's sin in a permanent nature. Have you ever been willing to do something, but you just weren't able? I remember when we adopted Rachel. There were so many times that I prayed for her before she got her heart transplant. I, I wanted to heal her heart. I just couldn't. And these old priests were willing, but they just didn't have what it took to absolve people of their sin. Jesus did. Why? Because He's God. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. The perfect high priest. He is able, it says, to save. You know what that word means? To get an idea of that word, you got to go back to Exodus. Back in Exodus 14, both in verses 13 and 30 it means to deliver. Save we talk about being saved. most of us, if, if I use the term saved, what's you do the word picture association what's the first thing that appears in your head? I mean the first thing saved what does that what, what does that mean to you? Salvation, Salvation but from what? <coughs> Delivered from what? hell That's the first thing that most people think, right? It's more than that. He delivers us, guys. He delivers us from the power of sin. What were they delivered from back in Exodus? Uh, Egypt slavery. Slavery. What holds a power over us before we have Christ in our life? Sin. He delivers us from the power of Satan. He delivers us from the guilt of sin. He delivers us from the power of death. Death, remember, is Satan's greatest power over us. That's why people are freaking out about the coronavirus. Because this is all they got. Yeah, this this is it. There's no hope for them. He delivers us from fear of the wrath to come. If you're a believer, you never have to fear the wrath of God. If Jesus is your high priest, you never have to fear. He delivers us from eternal hell. That is a part of it, Dave, but it's only part he delivers us from all so he's able to save and here's what's interesting he he adds he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him John 14 I'm the way I'm the truth I'm the life no one comes to the father except through me you're not delivered from any of those things by going to church reading your bible doing religious activity (coughs) Uh, being part of other faith systems doesn't matter what it is. Oh, he, and, and you know, I got an article the other day that Brad sent me and Dave, and it said it was talking about men specifically. And these men are sitting in these Bible study groups or these church groups, and if somebody asks somebody about them, like they ask somebody in the group, Well, tell me about Ron. You go to Bible study with him. He's a nice guy. That's the response. He's a nice guy. Really? That's the best you got? He's a nice guy? What we ought to be saying, oh, he loves God. He loves Jesus. My wife and I had this discussion last night about several people we've been in conversations with over the last few weeks. What would people say about you? Would they say you love Jesus or would you just say you're a nice guy? I want people to say I love Jesus. I don't care if they think I'm a nice guy. I mean, I I, I do, but I'm, I'm just saying the most important thing to me is I want people to know I love Jesus. And how does it say in the Bible they will know we love Him? By our love for one another. So that means when Ron hurts, I hurt. <clears throat> I don't go, well, Ron, I'd like to talk to you, but I've got to go to my golf game. That means we function as a body because we love Jesus, and, and we're in the body. And, and, and so because He's permanent and because He's perfect for us, He lives through us. Because we come to God through Him. And when you go to God through Jesus, He's going to change your life, Uh, Mark, getting back to what you said at the beginning. That's why Bob's life was changed. But 30 is pure. Verse 26. This is really important too for Him to be the great high priest. Verse 26. For It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy. You know what the word holy means? Set apart. Somebody say that, right? Set apart. It means set apart. Holy. It means set apart. And it's interesting, in the Bible, there's a couple of different words in the Greek. That's what I love about the Greek language because they can be very specific about a type. The way it's in the tense and in the the way the word is is written. Whereas in English, we're just so general about a lot of it. But the word for holy in the Bible usually is hagios. H-A-G-I-O-S. And that word means set apart for service. And Jesus certainly was that. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is hosios. H-O-S-I-O-S. It's a different word. And... The Holy Spirit was trying to emphasize how set apart he was. So he uses this word, and it refers to the holiness of character, not set apart for service. Hagios is set apart for service, Hosios is set apart by character. (coughs) Jesus was both. But the writer's trying to say he had God's character. And that's why He was holy. The high priest in the Old Testament had to make themselves holy because you didn't go into God's presence unless you were set apart. And so they had to go through all these rituals of cleansing and sacrifice before they could go in. Jesus never had to do that because He was holy. But it also says He was innocent. It says He was holy, innocent. What is innocent? He never hurt anybody, physically or with his words. Think about that. Did Aaron ever hurt anybody? Aaron was a great high priest. Did he ever hurt anybody with his words? I think he did. Did he ever hurt people spiritually? Of course he did. He made idols. Jesus never did that. He was innocent. It says he was unstained. Now think about this. Jesus walked in human flesh for 30-something years on earth, walked among very sinful people, hung around with prostitutes, people that were vile as far as God was concerned for their actions, and never got stained. That would be hard for us to do, wouldn't it? It is hard for us to do, isn't it? You start hanging around bad people, what do you do? Do you bring them up or do they bring you down? A lot of times you fall prey to them. You you just get sucked in. He was unstained, it says, and it also says he was separated from sinners. In other words, there had never been anybody like him before or since. He was unique. And that's what he's saying. And he's exalted above the heavens. That's why he's the great high priest. He had no need, like those high priests, to offer daily sacrifices, is what it says. First for his own sins, then for those of the people. Why? Because he was perfect and he was pure. Do you think it's important to be pure when you go before God? It's a requirement. Yeah, that's not. If you don't think so, go back and read Malachi chapter 1, what God says about, or Isaiah, what God says about people trying to pray to him, trying to bring him a sacrifice that isn't pure, this blemished. doesn't work too well. He says it's like dung. That's what God says. Keep your dung to yourself. Don't bring it to me. I don't want your prayers. Somebody asked me the other day, you think God hears every prayer? I'm like, he may hear them, but he may not like them. Because that's what Scripture teaches So he's permanent, he's perfect, he's pure. But finally, it was all predestined. Verse 28, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, But the word of the oath, who did the oath come from? It came from God. The word of the oath which came later than the law. It came later, which meant what? It was predestined. Because it was always meant to be greater, Right? appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You see, Jesus is superior because God swore His priesthood into existence. He, he made an oath about His priesthood. So what He's saying to these people, don't go back to your old system. Remember, that was their temptation. That's what they were doing. They weren't all in with Jesus. In the Jesus boat. They were wanting to go back. He's saying, Don't go back. It's a flawed system. You're going back. Jesus is sufficient. His priesthood is permanent, perfect, pure, and predestined by God. Why would we ever go anywhere else with our needs other than to Jesus? Do we? When you have a problem, is your first thought to call a friend or is it to talk to Jesus? You see, we're conditioned to look everywhere but Jesus. Maybe it's because we feel like we're flawed and we blow it and we can't go to Him. But that's exactly the time. Do you know what He said? The publican is over here, the Pharisee, the religious leader is right here, and He's going, thank you that I'm not like this guy. And this guy's over here is feeling so cruddy because he knows he's made bad choices. He goes, I can't even look up. Jesus said, that guy is the one that gets it. He's the one I want talking to me. Not the prideful guy. So, Riley, when you and I blow it with our wives, what does that do? Does it make us prideful or humble? It It is humbling. And that's the posture that he wants from us when we talk to Him as somebody in need speaking to the one who can meet that need so as we think about this what's our need today what need do you have and are you talking to Him about it trying to gut it out on your own how's that working out for you doesn't work out too well And what He does with me, I can't speak for you guys, but I can certainly speak to my own life, that whenever I try to gut it out, when I try to seek help from friends, nothing wrong with counsel. I'm not talking about getting wisdom from people for (coughs) input. But who am I looking for to solve the needs that I have? It better be Jesus, because He always gets the glory in that. You may not like the way things turn out for you, but There'll be a peace there if you're looking to him because you know he's sovereign and in control. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your divine mercy in my life. Thank you for your severe mercy for bringing me to the place of realizing my great need for a priest like Jesus. And I thank you that he's eternal. I thank you, Lord, that he's perfect, and that uh, from the beginning of time, he was meant to be my priest, and I'm thankful. I pray for each guy here. I pray that he, if he has not been their high priest, if they have not yielded their heart to him as king and as savior, that today they would do that. Maybe they have have, but, Lord, they've forgotten how important it is to have that relationship with you through that priest when we walk out the doors i pray we'd all be jesus freaks i lift up these requests to you lord and pray for david continue to give him wisdom regarding his job we lift up the martin family and pray for comfort as the dad of that family is dying pray for riley's daughter china who's struggling we pray for social interaction for her uh, And we praise you, Lord, for Karen McGriff's healing. Thank you for Roy being here, and thank you for his encouragement. We lift up Craig Carroll, and as he's battling prostate cancer, and just pray for healing and that your servants would minister to him. Thank you for all you do. We love you. You're a great God. Amen.